What's up, Substackers? It's time for Ask Corey Anything again. I'm still making my way down the list. Uh, last time we answered like three or four, and it took me 30 minutes. So as you know, these are going to be segmented because nobody wants to listen to me go on and on for five hours. Uh, maybe you do, but like I'm sure that you want it broken up into uh, more digestible chunks than five hours. So I believe that we are on Matt Mallon or Matt Malin. I really do apologize if I'm saying that wrong. Please feel free to correct me uh, and know that uh, I am embarrassed if I said that wrong. They ask, what is the best comedic advice you've ever received and what was the worst? I'm really glad to be getting this question uh, or recording this question today because the best comedic advice I ever had came from a woman who I'm about to see here in two or three hours. Her name is Janet Williams. Most people know her as the Tennessee Tramp. She's a stand-up comedian. She is celebrating her 78th birthday this week, and I am picking her up, and me and my wife and my baby are taking her to a very nice Italian dinner, and she doesn't know it, but we've also made her her favorite key lime cupcakes. going to be a big surprise for her. Janet uh, is a very important person in my life. She's pretty much the first headliner that ever took me out on the road and took a chance on me. 12 or 13 years ago, um, we, we, we both came up at the same place, the Comedy Catch in Chattanooga, Tennessee, except when I was coming up, she was already a well-established headliner, because Janet's a gangster. Janet didn't start doing comedy till her like late 40s, early 50s. And basically, she went into the club and was like, I want to do stand-up. And, and the owner was like, well, um, okay, well, there's an open mic and you can start hosting and blah, blah, blah. And she goes, yeah, I'm too old for that shit. I ain't got time. I want to jump straight to headliner. And he's like, and most club owners would just be like, okay, well, that's not how it works because that's not how it works. But he just happened to have like an open Tuesday night where someone had backed out. And I think that part of him was like, okay, we'll let her see how this is. And Janet had an hour of material, did really well, and just was immediately a headliner. That right there is not some advice to follow because that is, uh, she's an outlier in that regard. But something Janet told me a long time ago. It was, you know, probably on one of those road trips 13 years ago that has stuck with me, and I'm finding out to be more true every day. She told me, she said, Corey, in this business, it's not the funniest who make it. It's the people who can put up with the bullshit the longest. Now, of course, being funny helps, she would add. But at the time, I, I wasn't trying to hear that. Because I, in my mind, I was the funniest kid, and there were so many people out there who were more successful than me, but they weren't as funny as me, and I just couldn't understand why that was. Well, I mean, the the most duh answer is like, well, you can be funny all you want, but if you weren't in the right place at the right time, or you're not doing the right things to get seen, then it doesn't matter. It's not like you know, comedy club bookers and, and television agents and whatnot have some sort of like you know, magnetic barometer that just seeks out the funniest. Like, you have to be seen. You have to put in all this work. And really, you have to be really lucky. And I think that's part of the advice is, like, you like in order to be lucky, sometimes you have to have just been there for a long time. Like, I'm just, like, it's almost it almost feels like I'm at the very start of my career, even though I started doing stand-up almost 20 years ago. And I get lucky a lot, but, like, if I hadn't 
taken Janet's advice and been the person who's like, I'm just going to stick it through all the bullshit. I wouldn't have been here to be lucky. Like, you've got to, you've got to work hard so that when luck strikes, you can be ready for it. But, like, you also, like, dude, there are so many people that I started with in stand-up that were better than me. Better joke writers, better, you name it, everything. Um, and for, But for some reason or another, they, you know, got frustrated and quit. And not all of them, I'm not, I'm in no way being like, oh, those, you know, those wimps. I stuck it out and they did it. Dude, some of it was because they had a kid and they needed to you know, have a steady job and like eventually you just kind of accidentally stop doing comedy because it's not as an important part of your life. I, you know, made the conscious decision to like, I'm not going to have any of those responsibilities until later. And like, that's a big reason as to why I think, you know, I made it. Now, granted, there's people I know that like have had kids the entire time and they are totally fine. So that's not, that's not always the case. But like, yeah, I think that going forward, because because of that advice that Janet gave me, that whole, it's not the funniest who makes it, it's whoever deals with the bullshit the longest, I'm able to shake so much stuff off. Like, y'all have no idea how many times I've been told no, how many failures I've had, because y'all only see the successes, of course. Like, I don't come on here and talk about every time I had a pitch meeting and it went bad uh, because, frankly, there's not enough hours in the day to make that <laughs> make enough of that content, uh, quote-unquote content. I hate that word. But, yeah, I think that's by far the best advice that I ever got and the worst advice that I ever got, and this isn't specifically from one person, and I won't talk too long on it, because y'all know that I've talked about it a dozen times probably on park rants or whatever, but the worst advice I've ever gotten was like all the people who constantly told me and every other comedian, and it was, you know, coming from comics and artists alike that like you have to suffer for your art, you know, like, and by that I mean you have to be miserable. That was such the mantra for so long that like, in order to be a good artist, you have to have a tortured life, or you need to be an alcoholic or a drug addict, you should never sleep, you should treat your body like shit, like, that's where comedy comes from, and that's just such, I mean, look, obviously there have been plenty of tortured souls who've made great things, but as I've tried to say a million times, I feel funnier and more creative now than I ever have, and I'm in a healthier place than I've ever been, so like, that's just I, man, had had that not been, like, the cliche for years and years, there's no telling how much of a better life I could have lived and so many other people in the arts could have lived if we weren't fed that complete line of bullshit that is 100% just a thing that people say to justify not going out of their way to work on themselves. You know what I mean? Like, and it, and I did it too, unknowingly, but it was like, no, 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 no. You just want to drink and eat fried chicken and, and be sad and and not have to be responsible for hurting other people's feelings with your actions and claim that it's just because you're suffering for your art. And it's bullshit. So that's the worst, 100% the worst advice ever. Okay, moving on. Ashley A. DeGutis, or DeGutis, again, apologies. Please just correct me, and I'll say it right the next time, I prom promise. Um, 
Not a question. Wanted to say I appreciated you sharing when you were walking a bunch. Been struggling at my job a while. Lots of downtime sitting at my desk depressed. Decided on April 24th to start walking uh, when depressed. Minimum of 8,000 steps a day. Been keeping it up. Minimum of eight. Uh, 800 and oh my god why can't i talk 8800 steps since i started but averaging five miles a day still depressed but at least not sitting like a bump on a log ashley that is awesome i'm very sorry that you're you know still depressed and you know and 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 right there goes to show you that like you know exercise and all that stuff is only like one small part of it like and i'm not going to sit here and assume what you are what you are not doing uh, else to, to help. I'm, I know that, you know, you have the same resources I do, so I'm not going to like try to, you know, like I, I, it upsets me when people like, will say, you need to try this. And it's like, Oh, that obvious thing that everybody knows about. Yes, I am trying that. It's just not working numb nuts. Um, but I would say that like, yeah, as you've, if you've, as you've said here, it don't hurt, you know, like, you know, when Tom Cruise jumped up on the couch on Oprah and was talking about how like, running solved his depression i just when i hear that and somebody says that i'm like then i don't think that you had depression i think that you were in a funk and like you can be in a funk without being like clinically depressed um but the, but the thing is like um dude yeah exercise definitely helps i, I feel like with depression, like with anything, whenever I try to approach solving a problem, I didn't always used to be like this, but I am now. It's like I want to give myself every opportunity to win. Like whatever I have to do, even if it only helps me by a percentage, I want to do that thing. And I think that like my therapy and medication are like the number one winners in the scenario. But like I got to give it to my walk and my routine, like getting in a routine like, I feel like it's it's like a comfort for your brain, you know? Like, especially for somebody like me who never really had a routine, uh, aside from, you know, the bullshit that I say on stage, but, like, you know, it, it's, it gets you in that comfort zone. You got something to look forward to, I guess. So, actually, I really, I, first off, I appreciate you uh, sharing that, and I'm happy if in any way that I helped. Um, and I, I really, I'm, I'm rooting for you on your... On your in your struggles, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, like you said, it, it does make it better. Like going for a walk does not cure depression, but it can get you, in my opinion, to the next day or just the next hour or just the next minute. You know what I mean? It's like just a little relief, and like you just start compounding a lot of stuff like that, and you can really make a difference. And anybody who, like, there's, and I probably used to be this person where I was like. You know, when somebody when I was depressed and somebody's like, "Hey, you need to do something to help yourself," I'd be like, "You don't understand. It's not my fault. It's my brain." And that is true. But like, I hate to tell you, but like, you still do gotta try. You know what I mean? I know that you can't like, you can't just uh, suck it up and be happy. But dude, you can try to do some things to make you happy. Like you, you do have to meet depression and your medication and stuff halfway there. Otherwise, I don't think it's going to be as effective. Um, so, yeah, th thanks, Ashley, for that. And like I said, you know, I'm pulling for you. Eric asks, what is your favorite Drive-By Truckers album? All right, now you've put me in quite a pickle here because me saying that I have a favorite one 
means that I'm admitting that there's some better than the others. And I mean, I guess that's obviously true, but I love them all equally. But I will tell you, if if you if you told me there had to be only one Drive By Truckers album that you could listen to the rest of your life, I would definitely say Decoration Day. Um, there's no such thing as a song of the Drive By Truckers that I skip. However, I've never once listened to Decoration Day, the album, and only listened to it once through. Like I always just if I'm if I'm listen if I feel like listening to Decoration Day, it usually means that's what I'm listening to all day for 24 hours. Like it comes out so strong with I think the first song is the deeper in, which is like it's so that's like one of my favorite drive by trucker song and i think it's so underrated and like if you don't know what <laughs> the deeper end is is it's it's a as patterson who's a buddy of mine would say oh yeah the, the cousin fucking song <laughs> and uh it's great uh that's obviously i mean doing so much of the heavy lifting is outfit by isbel i mean that's the that was the debut of this song it's become a staple in his solo shows wonderful there's heathens there's your daddy hates me i mean of course there's decoration day there's when the pen hits the shell like it's a great mix of hood cooley and isbel you know like they're all really pulling it all out on that one marry me my sweet annette like i said heathens like dude the album is just an absolute banger front to back and it always puts me in a good mood even though some of the songs are obviously you know, uh, they're sad and depressing and, you know, they're thinkers. But, like, I'm never going to listen to Decoration Day only once all the way through. So it's it's Decoration Day all day for me. Also love Southern Rock Opera because I love a freaking themed album. That's great. I love them all, but, yeah, you got me. It's a Decoration Day. Uh, let me know what, I would like to know what yours is, Eric. And I'm hoping that as soon as I answer that, you're like, boom, yes, that's correct. That is the number one. <laughs> that's the number one album. So, yeah. Marjorie Birch asks, does a mockingbird have a song of its own? Um, you know, I'm not a birdologist, but how about this? I'd like to think it does. I'd like to think that we all have a song of our own. Oh, here's a great username. More ass than tits. <laughs> More ass than tits asks... You're in your dream blunt rotation with four other people, dead or alive, famous or not. Who would they be, and what would your first question be to the group? My God. Um, man, that's a great question, but I must put out there first that, like, I don't have a dream blunt rotation because uh, smoking weed with other people is terrifying to me. So maybe if you will allow me to change this to my dream for other people sitting at a bar i i could do that uh if that if that's okay i mean if you need me for the fantasy to be smoking weed with them like i can do it but i think that i would choose different people because in order like i wouldn't want to be around any of my heroes when i'm high as shit because i'll make a mistake but i can have a couple whiskeys and talk to anybody i ain't i ain't scared you know what i'm saying I think my first one, and this is going to sound cheesy and sentimental, but and it is, but would be um, my papa on my dad's side, my poppy, and that's because I didn't really get to know him that much. He died when I was around five. I definitely have memories of him as a kid, but like not enough. And my papa on my mom's side 
died when I was like three or four. So like, I just never really had a papaw, you know, like I had older men in my life that sort of, you know, kind of filled that role, but not in a way that like, I get super jealous because like a lot of my friends, papaws are still here, you know, um, they're, I mean, they're starting to go, unfortunately, but like, I just think about all that time that I, that I missed and, you know, I had a great granny I, and granny made up for all of them. Don't get me wrong. She was such a good granny and such a big part of my life that I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. You know, I wouldn't, but I would love to sit down and have a whiskey or beer with my poppy Sonny and just find out what his deal was like I've heard enough from my dad about him I guess but like I'd like to hear his words of like who he was and I'd like to talk to him about his time in Korea and being in the Navy like I would I just I mean you know on top of just wanting to spend time with my papa like that's just something that like I, there's nobody else in my life that I can really ask those kind of questions I would also love to see like I don't know. I'd kind of love to see his take on everything that's going on right now because he was a lifelong Democrat. Like, you know, the last person he ever voted for was Clinton. Now, granted, you know, there's a lot of uh, people who were Democrats in the 90s who went the other way. Who knows? But, like, I would just like to know a lot of things. I would like his wisdom, you know. I mean, the guy died when he was in his 50s. It's just he had so much time left. And... um you know, he was a contractor. I would have, I just, God damn it, I would have loved to have worked with him for a summer and got to know him better. So I think that'd be number one. And now I'm going to try to think of people who I think would fit in <laughs> with me and him. I don't know if he's going to make the actual cut of this four. Lenny Bruce would be a good one. Um, especially if I could record the conversation so that I could let everyone today who is complaining about cancel culture know that they should shut the fuck up. Because if you know anything about Lenny, you know that the man was literally arrested for saying things. Not just told in the comments that they didn't like him for saying things, but literally arrested, had his cabaret card taken from him, got prevented from working, had cops outside of his shows ready to take him in when he just cursed. So I'd love to talk to him, and maybe if I'm like bringing him back here to this time and talking, I don't know, I'd maybe like to go back in time and be like, hey, I'm from the future let me tell you what everybody's upset about right now and what they think is uh, censorship. Just to hear him laugh his ass off and probably make him feel a little bit better about himself. So I could be like, yeah, so you're actually, you have no idea how much of a true pioneer and hero you are. Like You, re you made it so much easier on everybody and they do not appreciate it. <laughs> you know, like they think they're being you just because they use a slur. And then some people say, I'm not going to go to your show anymore. So I would like Lenny Bruce would be a good one. And I'd like to hear him and my papaw. You know, that probably wasn't his type of comedian. I think my papaw is probably more of like a Bob Hope guy. But like Lenny would be a good one to have at the table, I think. Um, this might surprise some people. It, it won't surprise a handful of you, but I think I've been thinking about like his like really historical people and like Winston Churchill kind of popped in my mind. But then I thought, you know, what would be better than Winston Churchill? Queen Elizabeth, 
Because if I get Queen Elizabeth, I can just have her tell me what Winston Churchill was like and Neville Chamberlain and Margaret Thatcher and um, hell, Boris Johnson. Like, you know, love her or hate her or feel nothing about her. That's totally fine. But like the, 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 like not only did she live to be, you know, 96, whatever years old, those 96 years specifically that she lived and in the position that she was in when she lived it, she experienced firsthand so much of the history that I am interested in. I would love to talk to her. Like, like if we're in a situation, I assume, in this fantasy where, like, she can tell me everything. She doesn't have to go by, like, the proper couth, you know, regulations of the queen. She's letting it all rip. I've, I've, I've resurrected her from the dead, and she's like, all right, let me give you the real scoop. She'd be fun. It would be fun to have uh <laughs> it would be fun to have her husband there too, just for some good, you know, jokes about the Irish and whatnot. But I really would like to have her because she just you know, it's different than talking to a president. A president like they get there four or eight years when they are of heavy influence and really in the situation and then anything else that happens, it's like, well, the other president deals with it. But like she was the lady for fucking 75 years, I think, was the, the, the Diamond Jubilee that they celebrated right before she died, which I was in England for, which is crazy. But yeah, and I, and I don't mean like, oh, I love Queen Elizabeth. That's not it. It's just like, I'm looking at this selfishly, like what could I get out of this roundtable conversation? And I think Queen Elizabeth would be, I mean, just fucking perfect for me. So we got my papaw. We got Lenny Bruce. We got Queen Elizabeth. Again, I'm still not convinced that I want to keep Lenny here. Maybe I'll keep going and we'll we'll figure out whether he needs to stay or whether he needs to go. Uh, but I think another good one would be the American Dream, baby, Dusty Rhodes. That's right. I would love to sit down and talk to Dusty Rhodes. I'm sure that most of y'all, even if you're not wrestling fans, are familiar with who Dusty Rhodes is. Uh, the son of a plumber, baby. He uh, was a huge inspiration to what became the Buttercream Dream, which, as I mentioned in a, a, a more recent Ask Me Anything, uh, is coming back. He was a genius wrestling booker. A lot of people don't know that. A lot of people were just like, oh, well, he was just the guy. He was the entertainment. But no, Dusty was also a booker. He was running the show for Crockett Promotions during all those, the heydays, whenever you've got Ric Flair versus Dusty and Ricky Steamboat and Sting and all those guys. Like, he actually had the pencil in the back. And I would just love to pick his brain about philosophy and psychology on wrestling because I've always thought, and I've talked to several of my buddies who are wrestlers about this, like, the, the, the similarities between that and comedy are like very stark, like how to open a show, how to close a show, the pace, you know, when to let people up, when to get quiet so they listen, you're trying to entertain at the end of the day, but you also want to send them home thinking about something, the flair, the mic skills, the, the, the stuff that you say without even saying anything, you know, making sure that the people in the back row feel it just as much as the people in the front row. And plus, dude, like, he was there for all of my eras of wrestling fandom. So, like, he'd, ha he was, he'd be a great guy to just sit down and go, tell me, tell me about this guy, tell me about this guy. And he's funny as hell. I mean, that would be, 
I think Dusty Rhodes, if I had to pick any wrestler to be at my table, it would be him. Like, I could say Macho Man Randy Savage, too. That'd be great. But then I'm only kind of learning about the one era, the one that he was in, and he wasn't really booking. And I kind of went, and dude, I'm Randy had a fucking smart mind for the business from everything I hear. But, like, I kind of want to talk to somebody who was running the book. You know what I mean? I'd love to talk to Dusty Rhodes. So we got my poppy. We got... Uh, Lenny Bruce, we've got Queen Elizabeth, and we've got Dusty Rhodes. I'm trying to think if I can beat Lenny Bruce. I don't know if I can. I mean, obviously, there's there's people, there's more people that I would love to be here, but you only gave me four. So, by God, you know, ask me this question again next week, and maybe my mind would change, but I think that's a pretty damn good list. My poppy, <laughs> Queen Elizabeth, Lenny Bruce, and the American Dream, the son of a plumber, baby, Dusty Rose. You don't know hard times, daddy. All right, let's do one more before I segment this even further and do like a part three. I think this is part two. And then do a part three and then probably part four, five, six, seven, eight, whatever. Uh, from Sherry Patterson, longtime caller. Love you, Sherry. I know you like antiques. I would like to know what's the best antique thing you've ever found, and did you buy it? Also, what's your most elusive antique you hope to someday find? Your personal holy grail. Thanks, bunches. Um, well, I won't go too in depth in it because I will just I will just direct you to. There's actually a video I did here on the Substack. Uh, it's the latest one. I think I called it Antiques Roadshow. And it was a um, microphone used at Mid-South Coliseum during the Andy Kaufman days. That's definitely the, the coolest one I've ever found. And yes, I did buy it, by God. Um, I got it for 200 bucks, and I'm glad I didn't say this out loud, but I would have given them more. And so that's the coolest. My holy grail item, how do I describe this thing? I really need to have it pulled up, but I was searching through old magazines not long ago. Uh, ironically, the magazines uh, came from an antique store. I collect um, like people magazines and stuff like that if they have, like if it's a cover issue where someone died, like I've got, you know, the Princess Diana one, I've got the Tammy Wynette one, or if like if the cover story was something that like meant a lot to me as a kid or was something that was sort of like a flashbulb moment in history. I try to pick those up. They're usually not that expensive. Like, I would only spend five to ten bucks on them. I wouldn't go any further than that. But I do like having them, you know, whenever I can. And I want to say that I was going through, like, some... And maybe it wasn't People Magazine, but it was... It might have even been a Playboy, because I'll, I'll buy an old Playboy, too. And no, not for the reasons you think. Uh, although I do, uh, you know, I do fancy me the old school gals. I do. I'm not going to lie. And in it was like a advertisement for, I think the Marlboro Miles or Marlboro Points thing had like just started. And if you sent in so many like paid proof of purchases, say that five times fast, from like a carton of Marlboros, you could get this, it was this red like horse riding jacket. So like... Picture all the jackets that they wear on those, like, fox hunts in England. You know the jackets that I'm talking about, sort of the hoity-toity ones. Well, this one was a red one, which, you know, often those are too. Like, the, they look like the red coats, and it had a Marlboro patch on it. And it is one of the coolest shits I have ever seen in my life. And I'm pretty sure that I saw one for sale on eBay but it was a small, 
And the thing about smalls, the thing about smalls now is a small now don't fit me, but smalls back in the seventies were actually smalls. Like, dude, if I find a large from the seventies, that don't even fit my fat ass. You know what I mean? So I didn't. It was very pricey, and I didn't buy it because I was like, no, if I buy this some bitch, I'm wearing it. You know what I mean? So I've always sort of hoped that one of those would just pop up in an antique store and maybe someone didn't know what they had and they were just like, this is Papa's jacket, whatever, 40 bucks, uh, even though I'd spend, I'd spend more on it for sure. But that's something that I have always, um, that's something that I've always kept an eye out for. And I don't know that if I'll ever find it, but it's one of those that you just keep in the back of your mind and that's the thrill of the hunt. You know, like that's that's what most antiquing is. It's like I don't go there thinking that I'm going to find anything. I go there hoping that I'll find something, you know, and you've got those items. And that's definitely one of those items. Also, I'm always on the lookout for like an old school Scotty Cameron putter that would normally go for a thousand dollars, but hoping that someone just, you know, was <laughs> like cleaning out their kid's closet. and We're like, oh, here's his old putter. Just puts it up for 40 bucks. You know, like an old, I like, I love, that's another thing I collect is like old golf clubs. Like if I find like an old set of seventies, like Australian blades with a one iron in them, oh boy, it's coming home with me. And no, I'm not playing with them. I just like having them. It really pisses my wife off, but well, I wouldn't say it pisses her off. It just like, she doesn't understand it, which is totally understandable and fine. But uh, yeah, man, that marble jacket, if y'all are ever, if you ever see a red Marlboro riding jacket that you think fits this description, you, if you're at the antique store, holler at me. And I will tell you, buy it, I'll Venmo it, Venmo you, I'll even come pick the some bitch up. You know, I don't know why it's on my hologram. I don't even think I'd look good in it. I think I'd look goofy in it. But like, I saw it one day, I know how rare it is, and therefore... There you go. <laughs> so, all right. So we will, uh, on deck for next time's Ask Corey Anything will be Sarah Wofford's What is Your Best Writing Advice Asking for a Friend? Sorry, Sarah. You're going to have to wait till next time because if I had to guess, that one might take the entire 30-minute chunk. Love you. Love all of y'all. Thanks for being here. I'll see you later. Skew.